0: Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergera.com. Thank you, guys. Um, I just want to say thank you so much to the worship team for... uh, for stewarding that moment, um, I'm, I'm an addict for moments like that where the Lord comes and he just, just sweeps into the room. He just gets you caught up where it just seems so easy. Where it's like everything that you, you might have come in, brought in from outside, you brought, it, just, it just doesn't, it's not there anymore. You're just with him. And there's moments like that where the Lord wants to do it. He wants to do it all the time. And sometimes we can miss it is Sometimes we nail the opportunity to welcome the Lord in, and that's that 's what that was so i 'm just so grateful that we have a worship team that is sensitive to those kinds of things that isn 't just going through a checklist but is truly trying to give a blessing to the lord um, i 've been uh, i 've been a wreck trying to put this this message together i 've had a I've had a burden for what the church looks like right now and and, and a burden against uh, repetition and feeling like, okay, we come to church, you know, we pray, we're supposed to do this, we're supposed to do that, but out of the repetition, we lack expectation because we're just partnering with day-to-day life of every other thing that's repetitious in our life. But we don't come in and separate and say like, all right, this is a moment that I've set a meeting, have a meeting with the king of kings what do you expect to happen i would expect something absolutely incredible and impactful to happen and when i was praying about this this week and and weeks prior it all comes down to knowing jesus better and i felt like the only way that we could truly interact with him in a way that defeats the, our, our human nature of that repetition that keeps us excluded from like, hey, the king is in the room. Everybody pay attention. Something incredible is about to take place. Is that I f- believe that if we know the man of Jesus, then it's, it could be easier to enter into and engage with the king of kings, the Lord of lords, by understanding and knowing Jesus in the Bible, his human nature, what his heart was, how his heart was broken time and time again. If you've felt brokenhearted, Jesus has felt more brokenheartedness for you And on your behalf, the brokenheartedness that you have felt, he has partnered and put himself in that exact same place with you so he can identify with you, so that he can build you up, so that you can know that you're not alone because it says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And there are many times in scripture while I was exploring all week, going through every single heartbreak in the gospels that Jesus went through and bringing about a prayer, Lord, please help us to understand you as a man you as a person, your desires for your people. Because when we understand that we can relate to him on a human level, knowing that he had an experience, the same way that we have an experience, then we can pray to him and not just throw up like, yeah, this is just my wish list, this is something that I want. But know that there is a man in the room with us, praying and pleading and partnering with us, building us up. In my prayer this morning, is the Lord would just use my voice so we can have just a, such a tangible knowing of him being right next to us so our, our, our lives can be completely changed by the way that we talk back to him. I believe the Lord is always talking to you. Sometimes we think that, it, that uh, the Lord's not talking to me. I, we get so frustrated. That's not the case. He's always talking. He's, he's, he's God and he's outside of time. So he could be talking to you about every single topic and every single need that you have at the exact same time. Everything that you need is being poured into you all the time. The, the difference between you hearing it or not is the actual issue. It's not about him talking or him not talking. So if we can, we can break through this repetition of just like, all right, I'm going to come, we're going to sing a few songs, we're going to you know, go through this and that, and now somebody's going to talk to me for a while, and I'm going to go eat after this. But understand, like, you guys all set an appointment with the King of Kings. I believe that in this time, as the world keeps getting darker and darker by the second, that we are, we are entering into a strength that the church hasn't had in a very long time. I believe that there's a separation of the generation before us that is equivalent to Moses freeing the, uh, the, the Israelites out of Egypt. There's a parting of the Red Sea so that they could, they could march out into the wilderness but be free. But they were still lost and they didn't have a land of their own. There's kind of that in-between in space that I feel like the church is in right now. And I believe that we are the church of Joshua now. The church that is going to cross the Jordan with the Holy Spirit and he's going to stop up the Jordan. Some people don't know this. God parted waters two, two times. Moses, that's popular, and everybody knows that. But when Joshua took up the call to be a man of war and to take the promised land, we, we say promise land and not promised land. If you say promised land, you're like, all right, this is the land of milk and honey. It's really, really good. It's awesome. And all those things might be true, but it's been promised to you. And there is some work and some war to be undertaken. So that the, the land that is promised to you, the battles that the Lord is calling you into, you're gonna win every single one of them if he called them to you. Yeah. So we see Joshua crossing, crossing the Jordan River with the Ark of the Covenant, and the Lord goes up here, and it's almost as if he puts his hand through the river and stops up the water so that Israel and the, the Ark of the Covenant can march across. like across and into like that, that position of like, all right, we were wandering for a time, but now it's time to take what the Lord is calling us to take. That's what this church is right now. This is what we're supposed to grow up into. Great sailors aren't made on calm seas. Great sailors are made by enduring and going through fights and learning and understanding and taking up that call by crossing the Jordan and saying, Lord, what wars do you have us to take? Where do you want us to go next? What does it look like? What is this battle plan? There's Joshua. The book of Joshua is so awesome because if if you're a dude and you love like war movies and stuff, God like literally gives them battle plans. Just like, yo, do this, and it's gonna work out perfect. They're never gonna see it coming. Like, do exactly this, and they go and do it. And sometimes they get really hyped up, and they're like, yo, we're we're awesome. We've been smoking everybody. We're just going to march up in there. But if you didn't consult the Lord and you didn't partner with the Lord and do it the Lord's way, they ended up getting beaten and humbled. So they come back to the Lord and like, God, what in the world? He's like, you went without me. I wasn't with you. Let me go with you. Do this. Like, okay, my bad. Let's go. And sure enough, they went. Again and again and again. And that's what the church is supposed to look like right now. Walking with the Lord. But in order to do that and to not go into fights like like Joshua did without the Lord. Thinking that we're tough. Thinking that we're strong. Think that we can handle it. If we go without the Lord, it's not going to work out. But if we know Jesus, we know the character of Jesus, we know the heart of Jesus, the will of Jesus. Then we can pray and we can hear better and we can move forward and to take land that he has for us to take. The main thing is, is Jesus and only Jesus, and it's always been Jesus. It's not for, uh, revival is a really, really popular buzzword, but if it's not, it's not unto revival. It's not unto having more people here it's really not even about that. I don't, I don't think that the Lord right now is interested in building bigger churches. I think he's, he's okay with it. He loves it. But he's, he's more concerned with the remnant of his church that is actually burning for him. The people that he can actually, in the same way that there was those 40 years in the wilderness, he's like, there were, I think it was 10, 10 uh, spies that went into the promised land. And Joshua and Caleb, they're the only two that had confidence that the Lord would help them take it. That's the remnant. Those two men, they come back to Moses and they say, we can do this. But the others, they all said no. So what did God do? He said, I'm going to have you guys wander around in circles for 40 years until only the remnant remains so that you can move forward in power. That's what we're looking at. That's what's going to take place here. It's not unto revival. It's unto seeing Jesus be here. Jesus equals revival. Jesus equals the healing. He equals the deliverance. He equals the healing of the land because of the person of Jesus. We, don't, we, can't, we can't get caught up in looking at the products. The products are amazing. The gifts are amazing. We love the gifts here. We're crazy about the gifts here. We empower you guys all in the gifts. But it's the empowering of Christ that is first and foremost in every single thing that we do. Otherwise, we'll fall flat in every single prayer that we have from here on out. So I have a lot of scripture, and none of it's going to be up there. So you're going to have to follow along with me. Um, but we'll pray over your carpal tunnel syndrome after, after service, because we got a lot of flipping to do in this Bible. Um, and I realized a little while ago that I don't have a computer to just touch and swipe. That's easy with, you know, one hand. I got notes and paper. So have mercy on me as I have a microphone as well that I'm going to have to set down probably from time to time. Um, so let's get to know Jesus in the final words um, of his ministry, which is found in the Gospel of John twelve forty-four through 50. These are Jesus' final public words before he washes the disciples' feet. This is the summing up of all of the time that he spent here on earth. If you're familiar with Jesus and his walk, after this point, he only really talked to his disciples. He got, you know, imprisoned. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. And he didn't have jack to say to anybody. They said, hey, why don't you save yourself? Hey, why don't you, you know, uh, are you really the guy? And he's like, I was telling you guys in the synagogue this entire time, go ask somebody else. Like he's done defending himself. He knows what is due. He's supposed to die for you. And he's, he's like, these are my final words. Everything else has been done. This is the last thing that he chose to say to, to the world. So in verse 44, Jesus says, he says he shouted out, The one who believes in me does not believe in me, but the one who sent me. And the one who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not obey them, I will not judge him. That's that's something you guys need to know. If anyone hears my words and does not obey them, I do not judge him. For I have not come to judge the world, but to save the world. But the one who rejects me and does not accept my words, they have a judge. It's the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father himself who sent me has commanded me what I should say and what I should speak And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Thus the things I say, I say as the father has told me. This blows my mind because Jesus has revoked his his need to judge you. He said his word and his word is set forth. That's the judge. He himself inside of you is purely and only an advocate. And a reminder of his word. He's not looking down at you, being like, you're unworthy, you stink, you keep messing up, shame on you. You know, I'm not talking to you anymore. It can, like I was saying earlier, it's hard for us to always engage with him. If we're living in sin. You're not going to hear him very well, but he's always with you. He's, he's advocating for you. He's praying for you again and again at all times. He, he so badly wants you to know him more than he wants anything else because he knows you so well man, he just wants you to know him back. He's not here to judge you. He's, to, he's here to save you. There is judgment. There will be judgment. It's the words that he has to say. But know that when you think about Jesus, don't, don't think about like him pointing at you. And Micah said it one time, he said, if you could get locked in a room with Jesus for 10 minutes, do you think you would walk out with your head hung low or your head hung high or held high? And I, at first, I was like, I know what the Christian answer is, but I know the true answer is that I feel like I would probably leave with my head hung low. And I know it's not true. I've never thought about it, but I know that he would build me up and he would take care of me. He would talk to me about who he actually says that I am. And he wouldn't beat me down for the, for the lies that I've been living as a false, a false form of who I really am. He probably wouldn't talk about that that much. He would build me up. He would, he would keep, he would, t- like. hey, you gotta stop doing that. That's not who you are. This is a lie. This is who you are. You're made for this. I've called you to do this. Don't you see this gift that I've given you? Use it. I think that when we read scripture, especially a lot of us Christians who've been in the church for a long period of time, you can go through some scriptures and, and it's like the saddest thing that there is on the planet. But if you've heard it too many times, like the repetition that I was referring to earlier, it doesn't really hit you. You read, you know, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, period. You, you, you read it and you hear it as a fact, and you don't read it as a person whose heart was torn to pieces about a situation. The same way that we've all felt things like that. And the reason why I've been broken up over this message is that I'm asking the Lord to be with our imagination, to be with our creativity, so that we can enter into these these real historical moments with Jesus and feel and see the brokenness in his heart, see the brokenness in his eyes, and even better, see how he built himself up to continue on. Because Jesus was fully man and he was fully God, so he wasn't exempt from the brokenness of this world. He had to keep on going. He carried on. He had these moments in silence. He had these broken-hearted times. That is for you and that is for me because he didn't need to do that to himself. He didn't need to come up off the throne in paradise, but he wanted to so he could be an example for us, but also because there was no other way than to save you by a perfect and blameless sacrifice. There is a man who is perfect, who doesn't deserve any wrong done to him but all wrong was done to him so that you can be saved. It's ridiculous. So I'm probably going to cry a little bit. And I hope that you guys can feel that. I hope that you guys can too. I think there's a reason it's a gloomy day because it's, I, I'm trying to bring a little bit of gloom. I want us to feel this. I want us to be taken into the Bible. Man, I want us to be be as if we're another disciple watching Jesus go through this. So I'm just going to pray real quick for our imaginations and for the way I I articulate things. Lord, we just, again, welcome you into this place. Lord, we just ask that you would just, just build us up, take care of us, I pray that you would give us childlike imagination that when, when we are describing your heart, describing your feelings, describing the situations, the place, the time, the moment, the context, that Lord, we would be able to put ourselves there in that moment. That we'd be able to, as if we see you in this moment, going through and resonating with, with you on the very real situation, it's the very real struggle that you went through for us. So, Lord, just bless our hearts, give us soft, tender hearts. Jesus, all unto you so we know you better, so we can be changed forever. So, Jesus, use me, be with my words, be with my storytelling. The Lord, only by you would it be made perfect in our hearing and the words that I say in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to flip to Isaiah 53. This is a, a prophecy about Jesus. When I was reading this, it just it just broke my heart. I want to. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna read it with a little bit intensity. I I like to listen to the Bible, and follow along with it. But some of these things that are said. Before movies existed, this was, I believe, I think that people historically have been better at reading than we are. You know what I'm saying? We read some of these things and like, this is the worst thing that I've ever heard about happening to a person. That's what, this this, this is, Isaiah 53. This is the greatest pain that any humans felt. This is what that is. And that's what my prayer is, that we would feel every little bit of it. We would feel the reality we would feel the weightiness of these words and that they would they would change us. So I encourage you to just think about Jesus on the cross. Think about every single moment that he spent with his disciples, every single word that has not left his mouth in vain, just empty words. Every single thing that he ever said was pointed and perfect. He stepped off the throne to be with you, to save you, to comfort you, and to bear a punishment so that you wouldn't have to bear the punishment that you deserve. Isaiah 53, I'm going to read it in its entirety. Who would have believed what we just heard? When the Lord's power was revealed through him, he sprouted up like a twig before God, like a root out of parched soil. He had no stately form or majesty that might catch our attention, no special appearance that we should want to follow him. He was despised and rejected by people. One who experienced pain was acquainted with illness. People hid their faces from him. He was despised, and we considered him insignificant. But he lifted up our illnesses. He carried our pain, even though we thought he was being punished, attacked by God, and afflicted for something he had done. He was wounded because of our rebellious deeds. Crushed because of our sins. He endured punishment that made us well. Because of his wounds, we have been healed. Some translations might say by his stripes. All of us have wandered off like sheep. Each of us had strayed off on his own path, but the Lord caused the sin of all of us to attack him. He was treated harshly and afflicted, but he did not even open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughtering block, like a sheep silent before the shearers, he did not even open up his mouth. He was led away after unjust trial, but who even cared? Indeed, he was cut off from the land of the living because of the rebellion of his own people he was wounded. They intended to bury him with criminals, but he ended up in a rich man's tomb. Because he had committed no violent deeds, nor had he spoken deceitfully, though the Lord desired to crush him and make him ill. Once restitution is made, he will see descendants and enjoy long life. And the Lord's purpose will be accomplished through him. Know his greatest joy is descendants. He wants to enjoy long life with his descendants. That's us. Having suffered, he will reflect on his work. He will be satisfied when he understands what he has done. My servant will be, acquit, will acquit many things, excuse me, my servant will acquit many, for he carried their sins. So I'll assign him a portion with the multitudes. He will divide the spoils of victory with the powerful, because he willingly submitted to death and was numbered with the rebels when he lifted up the sins of many and intervened on behalf of rebels. There's a lot there. There's so much there. You could read that a billion times. We should probably read it a billion times. The Lord went through so much for you. He went through so much for you in a very short life that he had, he stocked it full of everything that he could to teach you, to show you his love, and to save you. That's worthy of our everything. He gave his everything and was given on a slaughtering and of sin and of shame and brokenness on top of it so that we wouldn't have to bear those burdens, so that we could identify with Christ and be made well. There's many, uh, there's many really, really hard times that Jesus goes through. And sometimes we think because he's God that it was pretty easy for him. That, you know, he's, he's, he's already got it figured out. He's already got the plan. And even though a lot of those things are true, he still had that human nature that could still, be, still could be touched. That he as a man had to fight through via the Holy Spirit to fill him up, to keep on moving forward and have that beautiful thing when you're bolstered up I don't know if if, if you've ever felt like you were just overcome with anxiety. I think there's a couple things that happen depending on the type of anxiety. One, you're filled with anxiety and somebody prays for you and it's just peace and you're just like, all right, it's all gone. And then there's a second type of thing that happens sometimes where you're, instead of just like getting peace or just having everything taken away, Jesus rises something up in you. He rises up a calling so that you can take that ground. So that you can know that he's with you and that you're not walking alone through it. Instead of just be like, oh, I have peace now, that's good. I love that, that's awesome. But there's a different kind that I think that we, we need to know that Jesus feels a lot of the time too. Because with him, he, he has those things, he recognizes those, those worldly things that, that afflict him and he gets bolstered up in the Lord, bolstered up in his calling. And if you don't know your calling, let's pray about your calling because that is gonna be one of the most significant things that the Lord wants to use to get you out of dark places. So we look at Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And a lot of Christians think that um, uh, demons can't, you know, possess or affect, or it's like we're completely exempt from, from that. Well, if you read, you know, one of the first portions of Jesus before he starts his public ministry is he goes into the desert for 40 days fasting and the devil meets him. If the devil can meet Jesus... Well, why would we think that it's any different for us to have, be afflicted by demons as well, right? It, just, it, doesn't make, it doesn't make a lot of sense, some of these argue, arguments that I, I struggle with with some, some Christians, is that Jesus very, very literally, if you read it, it says that he was taken up on top of a mountain. Like, what, how did that look? This was saying like, hey, you want to you wanna come up to this mountain? It'll be sweet. Just like, yeah, sure, I have nothing better to do. You know, I'm not eating, you know, so let's go. But it's like, there's, there's a certain amount of power that happens there that we need to understand that the enemy has, has some pull. And that by knowing our calling, knowing the Lord, we can, we can endure those types of things. Knowing scripture, knowing him, knowing who we are, who he says that we are even better Then we can endure. There's another really, really powerful prayer point in the story of Lazarus, which when I was reading it, I was kind of putting myself in the disciples' shoes in Mary and Martha's shoes, as well as Lazarus' shoes. And it seems really, really unfair the way that Jesus did these things. I want want us to kind of go through the story um, as if we've never heard it before. But this is in John 11. So let's go over there real quick. So it's John 11... 2 through 45. I'm not going to read um, the whole thing, but I'm going to give a quick summary of some of the main themes that that happen in the scripture. So, Jesus is with his disciples, and Mary, who is the one who broke the alabaster jar and wiped Jesus' feet with with her hair, um, as well as Martha, who is Lazarus's, they're two of Lazarus's sisters. They go to Jesus, who's at a town. I think it's a couple miles away. It's not super far away. And they say, like, the one that you love is ill. And Jesus replies to them. He says, this will not end in death, but for God's glory. So verse 4. So that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Note Jesus' main teaching point. Throughout this entire thing, no matter how twisted and kind of messed up this whole kind of story is, really, if, in my opinion, is that he will go to extreme lengths for you to know who he is. Really extreme lengths, and we'll we'll unpack that. It says that Jesus loved all three of them, so knowing, hey, Jesus, like the one that you love is sick. He's like, it's not, he's not gonna, it's not gonna end in death. We're gonna be cool, man. Um, it's it's for the glory of God. Mary and Martha, are like, all right, sweet, he's on his way. Uh, they go back to be with Lazarus. <laughs> and it, it says, so he stayed two more days before leaving. Dude, what are you doing? Wouldn't you be kind of be like, where are you? What what are you doing? Like, you've healed a bunch of people that you don't even know. You've healed a bunch of people that, I mean, it's, it looks like you care about them. But you particularly love my brother Lazarus. And you're deciding to stay and not not come yet. Like, what? You know how frustrated Mary and Martha would be at Lazarus' bedside moment after moment every knocking of the door coming to check on them believing and hoping in their prayer which if you talk to Jesus it's a prayer. They went and sent a message to Jesus. A message to Jesus would be a prayer. They said the one that you love is ill. They, they're they calling for him to heal but he doesn't show up. That would be the worst thing ever until finally Lazarus Lazarus is dead so Jesus waiting two days he says alright guys like we're going to head out Lazarus is asleep and I have to wake him up the disciples are saying well if he's asleep won't he just wake up like everything's fine somebody else can wake him up what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to get you to understand that the ease of Jesus to shake somebody and wake him up or the ease that you and I would have to wake somebody up is the same ease that he has of rising somebody from the dead. Amen. So he's trying to get them to think a little bit. He's saying, like, I have to wake him up. They're like, why? He'll he, he wake up after eight hours or something. You know, he's, that'll be fine. He's like, actually, no, he's dead. <laughs> think about that. And when you're the disciples and you're like, where's he, what is he talking about? feel like if I were a disciple, I would say that all the time. But Jesus says to them, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that that you may believe that I am he. There's another point that he will go to extreme lengths for you to understand who he is. So they finally arrive and Lazarus has been dead and in the tomb for four days. Martha runs to Jesus and says in verse 18, Excuse me, not 18. Where is this verse? Verse 20. Martha heard Jesus was coming, went to meet him, and Mary was sitting at the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will grant you. That's a powerful prayer. There's a human aspect of it, of like, where were you? If you were here, this wouldn't happen. My brother would be alive, as well as partnering with, but still, like, anything that you you want, like, the Lord will give that to you. Jesus replies to her, "He uh, he will rise again. And Martha says, yes, on the last day. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, will live even if he dies, and the one who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She replied, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who comes into the world. I'm kind of debating if she really has like full faith in this, that he's gonna rise from the dead. I don't think that she sees it coming whatsoever. I think that the disciples kinda are a little excited and they're thinking, Yeah, this this might go down, this would be crazy. But Martha even still has to have like that love for jesus knowing that he's the messiah knowing that he is who he says he is while still not understanding in its fullness like what what he's up to and why he would allow this to happen so she believes that he is the messiah and then she goes back and gets uh mary so mary runs out and she has a kind of the same thing she says to jesus says If you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. Two times in a row, Jesus is, like, spoken to, like, everything would have been okay if you were here for us. You weren't here for us. I don't know where you were, but you weren't with me. If you were here and you were with us, you were with the ones that you love, then my brother would still be alive. If you were here, he wouldn't have died. In this moment, Jesus is then moved He's moved with compassion. He's moved with grief. He's, he's, his, his heart is burdened and longing. And he asks, where have you laid him? And then we have this famous scripture in verse 33, where it says, Jesus wept. And it's a confusing, it's a confusing verse because it seems like every pastor has a different, a different reason or theory as to why Jesus wept. Because it's clear that Jesus knew all along that he was going to raise him from the dead. Seems like kind of an exciting, exciting thing. And I don't want to speculate entirely as to like the perfect reason why, because I think that there's a lot going into Jesus weeping. I think that he knows that the prayer, Jesus, where were you, is going to be far more of a common prayer than he would like it to be. That he's actually going to go and that the advocate of the Holy Spirit is going to come and that there's a relational aspect to that. That he can do everything that he, that, he, that he can to make sure that you're engaging with him and saying, Lord, if you're here, but we don't, we don't need to operate with this healing. We don't need to operate with him, you know, raising people. Like, Jesus is going rogue and kind of doing like whatever he wants to. That's a little bit different than what the, how the Holy Spirit acts through us. We're supposed to be like that, but it's on us a little bit to make sure that the Holy Spirit is allowed to move in the greatest capacity that the Holy Spirit wants to. There's a a relational aspect if we want to obey and do it or not. And I think that the pain and the burden and the bestowing on of of there being a huge calling on his people of like, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. And him him getting down on his hands and knees in front of a grave and knowing that that is gonna be such a common prayer where people are going to cry out to him and there hopefully will be Christians who will operate like Jesus did and allow the Holy Spirit to move in its fullness. I think you could, go, I think you could say a lot of answers as to like why Jesus is so brokenhearted in this moment, and most of them would be really, really right. Some of the Jews said, oh, wow, he really loved Lazarus. Some of them are like saying the same thing that you and I are saying, like, well, why didn't he just heal him sooner? So Jesus commands, remove the stone. Martha says, it's going to smell really bad. And he rebukes her and he said, did I not say that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? We have to take note of this amount of faith that Jesus is calling people to. This reminds me of the same moment that when uh, Peter sunk in the water, Jesus lifts him up. It doesn't say, good job, that was pretty cool for a human. He lifts him up and he says, you have little faith. He rebukes uh martha in the same way saying did i not say that if you believe that you would see the glory of god he has such a high standard for our faith he has such a high standard for how how much he wants us to believe in him and we dull it down and and we 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 think in in human capability in medical capability sometimes i'm all for it but we think as some of these things of like well cancer this, that. It's really, really bad. and It's really hard for doctors, so it's hard for God. It's not the case. He said that, yo, know, I, I can wake him up. I can just shake him. And, and, and what seems like just the waking up of a person to a person is the same exact thing of Jesus shaking a dead person or just calling his name and them waking up from the dead. It's the same thing. And if we can get on the same page that Jesus is trying to get Martha to, to understand, it says, think Jesus has very little patience. Very little patience when he is the king of the universe. And at this moment, he's brokenhearted. He's really sad. He's got a lot going on right now. And he's like, open it up. And then in the corner of the back of his ear, like, it's going to smell, Jesus. He's been in there four days. He's like, I'm trying to do something crazy right now. (laughs) Like, stop it. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God and I think in that moment Jesus's harshness can turn somebody to be like you have a lower level of, of, of knowing of my capability than I require I want you to believe I want you to know that I can do this I want you to partner with me because it was in his design no matter how kind of like kind of mean it seems for Jesus to do, go about this miracle in this particular way he had such a, a longing for us to know that by this testimony that everybody who saw it knew that he was the Messiah. So he rebukes her and he says to himself, Father, thank you for hearing me. And he only said that so that everybody else around him could hear him say it. So that they would know that it is the Father who sent him. And he yells out, Lazarus, come out. I've heard somebody say that he said Lazarus specifically because if he said come out. Maybe everybody would. So he had to be specific. He said, I just want one guy. I want Lazarus. You come out. (laughs) I'm not sure that's the case, but it's definitely possible. So this man named Lazarus, where they're expecting an incredible stench, the stone is rolled away. He yells into the tomb, Lazarus come out, and he's bound up, wrap around his face, wrap around his hands. He's tied together like this, all peaceful. And he says, like, let him go. Like a live person doesn't wear grave clothes. A live person doesn't need to be, be bound in shackles in this way. It says that some of the Jews that were there, some believed and some didn't. But it was for the testimony of everybody there knowing that he's the Messiah, that he's the Savior, that he is capable. There's another moment that we'll go to in Matthew 14, 13, where one of Jesus' most beloved people, John the Baptist, who was, who was sent to pave the way and open the door for Jesus to come and move in the ways that he did. i got to figure out where I am. Four. So John the Baptist was, he just said it like it is. And he was rebuking uh, I believe it was Caesar. And the king, or Caesar, wanted, wanted him dead, or Herodias, wanted him dead, but out of fear of the people, because they believed him to be a prophet, he didn't, he didn't kill him. So this little girl, Herodias Berothea, the daughter of Herodias, danced before, before him and pleased Herod. Herod was so pumped that he's like, little girl, whatever you want, I got you. Like you are a good dancer. And how messed it up is it that her mom comes in is like, hey, I know you want like, you know, a new pony, um, but I want you to ask for John the Baptist's head on a plate. And she's like, all right. (laughs) How crazy is that? Absolutely nuts. The way that the devil might move in such sick and twisted ways. So sure enough, he asks and, you know, heard being a man of his word, he does it. Jesus hears about this and it says in uh, verse 13, now when Jesus heard this, he went away from there privately in a boat to an isolated place. I'd be so interested in, in, in being a fly on the wall in those prayers of what Jesus like these these hidden away times where jesus just escapes to go and be by himself like what are those prayers like like what is that that moment where his best friend like from from the get from from the start from birth when when his mom uh, jesus's mom and his mom came together they both leapt in the womb Like, they were connected from the start. And the man that paved the way and sacrificed everything is beheaded. Jesus hears the word, and all that it says is that he gets on a boat to be alone. I think that the reason why we don't have any more detail about Jesus' secret place with the Father is because he wants to invite us into knowing it for ourselves. We can't just learn about it. It's 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 unknowable. It's unknowable without going to the secret place alone. With yourself but whatever happened in the secret place what would be really annoying to you and I in my most broken moment of seeing my friend gone a crowd followed a crowd heard about it and they followed him on foot from the towns I would be like not now leave me alone dude I am I am absolutely poured out and I have nothing to give but instead as he got out, he saw the large crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Whatever he did, he got filled up. He got taken care of. And he had that calling back on his life. Not that it ever left. But that secret place for Jesus was so important. That it's not just like a snap of the fingers. Because that's not how it, how, it, how it works with us. It's not how it works with a human. Going to that secret place and being with the Lord and being filled up and renewed was required for Jesus. It it, it was something that was one of his favorite things. He loved getting away. In this moment, there's one place. It wasn't going and huddling around his disciples, being like, yo guys, it's like, I need to go to the secret place. I need to get away and I need to go see my father. I think that it's also worth noting that the way that it says he had compassion on them and healed their sick. In this time, towns, um, towns had like a little bit of ownership for their sick. Listen to that. The towns noticed and they went and they brought their sick it, because they understood that something was off with these particular people. And with us, the devil has done such a work where people who are sick, they're not our sick. It's like we're all sick it's supposed to be that way. It's, it's, it's just the way of life. We're all going to be sick. This is all going to happen. Oh, winter's coming up. You better believe we're all going to get the flu. Once you get it, sweet, hopefully you don't get it twice in one winter. That'd be crazy. If you make it through, oh my gosh, you're a saint. I don't know why, you know, why that, how that's even possible. But in this, they had like a knowing of like, oh, Jesus is around. We need to get our people. We need to build them up. We need to go bring them to the feet of Jesus. And what happens when Jesus is around happens in their bodies and they get made well, right? I think that if we, we need to kind of like have that same culture, that these people, they understood that Jesus was nearby. They they understood that this offering was available. And they went and they met him where he was, inconveniencing him in one of the greatest ways that I believe I would be inconvenienced when I'm mourning. And instead he, he saw them, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Imagine that. A whole town goes back to start with testimonies on testimonies together as a collective group, having their own sick that are not sick anymore, people with new lives moving forward and building up the town together, potentially a church rising up in that place because they all went and brought their sick They didn't didn't negotiate with like, ah, well, you've you've been sick since birth, this reason, that reason. They they, they relied on the Lord's absolute capability, knowing that he could do it and that he would do it and that by seeing him do it before, they know that he would do it, so it's his will to do it. We're going to move over to... uh, story a little bit of uh, about Judas in uh, John 13 18 through 30 There's a moment here at the beginning of chapter 13 where Jesus is washing every single disciple's feet he takes off his, his jacket, he ties it around his waist so he can wash their feet and then dry their feet with his robe. And it says that he already knew that Judas' heart was taken by the devil. And he gets down below, below Judas, sits Judas on a throne, gets below Judas, takes his feet. And in that time, you're probably stepping in a lot of horse poop. <laughs> this isn't like, oh, it's kind of nice. We kind of do that and say like, hey, I forgive you. Hey, I love you. We wash each other's feet. It's kind of cute. This is, this is really a very servant-like thing. If you're royal, you would have somebody designated who is taking care of you, taking care of your house, and helping you get clean. And that's the, the, the position that That Jesus is taking, getting down, seeing and looking up at Judas with tears in his eyes, knowing that the devil has taken his heart, that he's already made the deal, already made the commitment, that the end is near. You can't be too far away from Jesus to still want to love you. At this point, he would say it's a lost cause. Jesus took a moment and said, man, if if I can still show love, I can still show like man I just want you clean and I'm here even if you reject me and you never look at me again even if you were grateful that you rejected me I don't care I'm going to get lower than you and I'm going to wash your feet so they go back to the table at the last supper and they're talking and Jesus brings up The one who eats my bread has turned against me. And everybody at the table who's been following Jesus is the greatest portion of their life. Person who loves them to the highest extent has an enemy in their ranks who has turned against their leader. And they're all talking. They're all trying to figure out exactly who it is. He says, I tell you the solemn truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples began to look around worried and perplexed. One of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, was at the table to his right in the place of honor. So Simon gestured to this disciple and asked Jesus who, who he's referring to. He's like, Yo, bro, like, ask him. Ask him who it is. So privately, Jesus tells him. And he takes a piece of bread he says this is it's the one that i'm going to dip this bread into the dish and i'm going to give it to him and he's watching in this moment and he gives the bread to judas and after judas had taken had took the piece of bread satan entered into him jesus said to him what you were about to do do quickly and nobody else except that one disciple probably simon and Judas knew what, he was t- knew what he was talking about. And Judas leaves. Ever, nobody thought anything of it. But Judas leaves to go and betray the king of kings. Jesus knows what is coming. And he goes to the garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew uh, 26 is where we'll turn to. he went to a place called Gethsemane and he said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray. He took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee and he became anguished and distressed and he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved even to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. So he goes a little further and he throws himself onto the ground with his face in the ground and prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Matthew doesn't say it, but other, other uh, gospels say that Jesus was, was bleeding, bleeding from his, his, the pores of it, where his pores <laughs> There's something very, very special happening here in the spiritual, because on this same mount is where in uh, the time of David, they would take olives and squeeze them to make anointing oil so that they could anoint you know, kings and royalty. And in the same place where the, the, the oil that anoints kings gets squeezed out of these olives, Jesus is going and throwing himself on the ground. And in every situation, you see numerous times where they're like, they turned against Jesus and Jesus somehow escaped. Have you seen that? It's, it's, it's really funny. It's really like weird. Did he just disappear like Batman or did he like just made his way through the crowd and they couldn't catch him? Or was there kind of like a little riot happening and pushing and shoving to make sure they couldn't get to him because they want to hear more from him? Whatever it was, there were moments in Jesus's ministry where God provided a way for him to escape. He's praying a prayer, saying, if there's another way of escape, God, if there's another way to do this, Lord, take this cup from me, but there's nothing that I want more than your will to be done. So knowing that he has full capability to escape, even even by just human standards without God's help, he could run away. He could hide. He could create a new life. But there is such a beauty in this anointing of Jesus being squeezed and him bleeding from, from sweats, sweats of, uh, from his pores, drops of blood, of anguish and toil and everything inside of his body would tell a normal person, you need to get up and get out of here. He's praying to the Lord and he's having a very human moment and he's saying, Lord, if there's another way, another way that I can get out of this, another, another way that, you know, this can be done. Lord, let's do that, but he submits himself, and I think there's such power in Jesus to stay where he's at rather than escape. We would all escape. We would all run away. We would all be afraid. It would seem very wise to do that, but for Jesus, going against every little part of his human nature, he experiences that submission to the highest degree where he says later, uh, you haven't even resisted to the point of shedding blood this is a moment where he is trying to just sit there be with the Lord be comforted pray and speak to the Lord knowing what is about to come some of the greatest pain but some of the greatest glory that is going to be for you guys this is going to be for me this is going to be to people who aren't born yet that he submitted himself he sat down he took that moment to be squeezed so that by his blood in the same way that david was anointed with oil we could be anointed and washed with his blood because he stood he, he sat there with his face on the ground and bled in anguish keeping himself there so that you could be saved in no way did jesus take the easy way out He is the toughest person that's ever lived He could have saved himself. He could have hit the red button and angels would come down and save him. At no moment did he do that. He prayed and he submitted himself to the highest degree to the Father. He said, Father, what do you want to do? He goes back to his disciples. He says, so you couldn't stay awake with me for one hour? Stay awake and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed that same prayer again. If there's no other way unless I drink it, Your will be done. He goes back to his disciples and he found them sleeping again. They could not keep their eyes open. So leaving them again, he went for a third time and he prayed the same thing. There's a, there's a, a, uh, what I believe there's a a correlation between Jesus praying that three times and, and, and Paul praying, Lord, if you can take this thorn away from me, he prayed that three times as well, and he got he to got no. know. Because there's a, a, a very high degree of what it looks like to be a human. There's certain sin that you can't escape. It's not that you are sinning, but it's that the world has, has dues for you. It has, you're going to walk in the valley of the shadow of death. No matter who you are, it, it's going to happen. The difference, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not Christian, is if you're going to walk with him and you're going to allow him to be there with you in the valley. God said to Paul, I said, no, like, this is for you. This is not something that you can escape. This is, this is an evil world. And I, I, can't, I can't take this from you. As a matter of fact, it's going to humble you and it's going to require you to draw nearer to me. So I want you to keep that. I don't want to exempt you from, from, from the power of this world that, that harms and comes to try to steal. It may try, but man, you're gonna win a lot. You're gonna win time and time again. And, 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 and God didn't give that to Paul and he doesn't give that to Jesus here either. He says, no, you need to drink this cup. So he gets his disciples up. He says, my betrayer, my, my betrayer is approaching. And there's a couple interpretations of this, a couple uh, accounts. I think in Matthew, it talks about the absolute incredible power that they are coming to come and take Jesus. They have in mind what the people want to do to him. And he goes up with Ju- uh, Judas being there, pointing him out. Some, one scripture says that he kissed him on the cheek. It says, the one that I kiss is the one that, that, is, that, that you need to take. The other one's... No, Jesus, he's the one that I kiss. And and I think it's in Matthew. They come up and Jesus meets them. Look at this moment. Jesus, his skin is probably like a tint of dark red from being absolutely poured out. The same way that your shirt might change when you sweat, he has that same thing, but with blood. He comes up, probably looking a little scary. He says, who are you looking for? He so said, we're looking uh, for Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. And they all fell back on the ground. And he's like, guys, he's almost like, I've, I've, I've come to this earth with a mission. What are, you, what are you doing? Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I'm that guy. Take me. He he's, knows his calling and he's walking in it to the, to the fullest. The amount of courage in a a, a similar way that he goes and escapes off the boat and he comes back better. Not that he was was bad before, but he comes back re-strengthened with this conversation with the father. He comes and he marches down the devil's plan for him. The devil's plan overtook Judas's heart and it was being orchestrated to a T in the way that, that Satan thought was best. We kill this man, we win. Can you imagine the devil working his hand in this? And he comes up and he's like, yo, we're going to go get this guy. This is not going to be good for him. And he says, I'm him. Take me away. Let's go. I have something to do. And the devil got to be a little confused. This is like one of the most brave things slash ridiculous, almost seemingly a dumb thing to do. And he's like, I'm that guy. You want me? Let's go. They fall back, and the finally, they, he says it again, they take him until they bring him to be crucified. Before that, he is slashed 39 times. They say, uh, the Romans, that they wouldn't slash you 40 times because according to their experiments, that they would, um, 40 would be like your dad at 40. They have a tradition of just doing 39 And coincidentally, there are 39 roots of diseases that are in the medical book. Every single stripe that he took, he took one for this disease. He took one for that disease. Every single disease, he took that. He was strapped to a stone and lashed, cutting into his skin, and having in mind that the prophecy is being fulfilled in this moment that by his stripes, we're healed. Every single disease. To the number, to the perfection. And uh, worship team, if you want to come up, we're going to wrap up with this. Jesus is being tortured and mocked. They make a, as we know, they, they make a crown of thorns. They set it on his head gently, and then they take a board and they smash Smash it into his head. I've seen the, the thorns. The thorns are literally like as long as your finger, and they're, they're tough, strong, strong thorns. And these are puncturing into and in, through his skull, into his brain, wearing a mocking crown as the King of Kings. They take him, and as a, as a Jewish tradition, they release one criminal. This was Pontius Pilate's way of trying to release an innocent man who's done no wrong in his eyes. He partners him with Barabbas, who is like the worst of the worst. Pontius Pilate's like, if I can get Jesus free, then if I partner him with the worst of the worst, and they take a vote on which guy that they want, they'll choose Barabbas, my hands will be clean, and we can carry on. But they didn't. Jesus stood there silent not casting his pearls before swine, but having said his final words, the final words of his ministry is saying, I'm done. You can refer back to everything that I said because I wasn't saying it in secret. Because he speaks life, life and death is in the power of the tongue. I imagine Jesus just by speaking life and only life all the time, him being silent was probably a little bit of a play. If Jesus only speaks life, then maybe he would you know, get out of it. And he's like, I'm not even gonna speak anything. There's gonna be no way that's gonna get prolonged. I'm coming here, it's going to be done. If you have, you have something that you wanna know, go and refer back to everything that I said. But as for me, if you know anything about what I've said, is the reason why I'm standing up here next to a criminal is that he should go and not me. So we remain silent, not defending himself, and they say, crucified Jesus, free Barabbas. So sure enough, it happens. Barabbas gets freed, probably didn't look back, probably to start another rebellion. And Jesus gets taken through the process of being crucified. They take him to the cross and put huge spikes in his hands. Every single moment, thinking about you, thinking that it's worth it, taking all that pain, drinking that cup, because he knew you couldn't drink it. So if there's only one person that can drink it, it's gotta be me, I'll do it. I have to do it. I'll be spotless for my entire life. I'll be perfect and I will never compromise. I will be innocent and they will lay me down, pin me to a cross. The King of Kings who brings freedom to everybody who cries out his name was pinned and not free so you could be free. Crossed his feet and put another spike through his feet, pinning him to this cross and lifting him up with real sinners, real people who deserved the cross. And he kept himself there and forgave one of them because they believed. Putting himself in a position where it's like, nobody else deserves to be up here except for me. Like, I have come for this reason. Jesus says some famous words. He says, why have you forsaken me? But what he's referring to is Psalm 22. In this time, people, especially Jesus, knew the scripture so well that they didn't need to recite the whole thing to know what it meant. And just by him saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He could feel the full calling of this entire passage. And I'm gonna read just a little bit of the beginning and a little bit of the end. One through seven. This is what Jesus is referring to. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I groan in prayer, but help seems far away. My God, I cry out during the day, but you do not answer. And during the night, my prayers do not let up. You are holy. You sit as king receiving the praises of Israel. In you, our ancestors trusted. They trusted in you and you rescued them to you they cried out they were saved in you they trusted and they were not disappointed but i am a worm not a man people insult me and despise me all who see me taunt me they mock me and shake their heads david has such a such a beauty in how he he starts a lot of his psalms in brokenness and he finishes them in reminding himself and building himself up and what God says. This is maybe what it looks like to go to the secret place. Say, Lord, this is the reality. This is what I'm feeling. It seems like reality, but let me remind myself again of a heavenly reality that we'll skip to in verse 23 through 31. You loyal followers of the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel stand in awe of him, for he did not despise or detest the suffering of the oppressed. He did not ignore him. When he cried out to him, he responded, You are the reason I offer praise in the great assembly. I will fulfill my promises before the Lord's loyal followers. Let the oppressed eat and be filled. Let those who seek his help praise the Lord. May you live forever. Let all the people of the earth acknowledge the Lord and turn to him. Just look at Jesus saying this prayer. Looking up to heaven and saying this prayer. Let all the people of the earth acknowledge the Lord and turn to him. Let all the nations worship you. Only by his stripes could this have happened. Could this prayer become reality? Only by the sacrifice could he pray something like this and it become absolutely true to the highest degree that anybody who calls on his name will be saved for the Lord is king and rules over the nations. All the thriving people of the earth will join the celebration and worship. All those who are descending into the grave will bow before him, including those who cannot preserve their lives. A whole generation will serve him. They will tell the next generation about the Lord. They will come and tell about his saving deeds They will tell a future generation what he has accomplished. That is us. They will come and tell about his saving deeds. They will tell a future generation what he has accomplished. And this word of Jesus has not lacked its potency in the church now because he left and he delivered us the Holy Spirit so that we could be as empowered in him as we want. We don't want it though. Do we really want it? This man that was bled out for you, shred to pieces for you, pinned and bound with no freedom at all. He said it was better this way that I die raised from the dead, leave again, so that the advocate may come. So then instead of Jesus being one man in one place, us all trying to get to him and learn from him, the Holy Spirit could be living inside of each and every one of us with the crying out prayer of anointing, of blood coming from our pores, knowing that Jesus lives inside of us, that everything that we ask, he hears us, that he understands, and that he just wants us to know that he's the answer. If you've taken nothing from this know that he he so badly wants you to know him as he is nothing less it's only him anything else that you seek is going to fall flat it's going to fall short but he so badly went to the to greatest depths to save you to knock on hell's door and take the keys away from satan of death in the grave so that you could have life and have life abundantly, so that he could take care of you, so that everything that you're walking with, everything that you feel like is too strong to give over, that has too much authority in your life, too much authority in your heart, you've given so much permission to, that you've fragmented yourself and said, like, this is kind of who I am, but I also have the Holy Spirit. He wants all of that every drop of blood spilled out for you so he could take everything from you that does not belong. We need to know the calling of the promised land to cross the Jordan, to bring the Holy Spirit into this land through a bunch of people being arcs of the covenant, being filled up with the presence of God. And that when we move and we follow his plan, things change things happen workplaces are restored cities are changed people are healed at altars carpets get soaked with tears of brokenness being released off of them and after that even better Tears of joy that just overflow a person because as a as a as a human, you can't, when the Lord comes in, you just start crying. It's not because you're sad, it's because your body has no other way to process the power. He wants to come and move so you would be brought low, taken, take all of your strength away and lay down at his feet so you can be only strong in him. And if you're standing up on any of your strength this morning, let it go. Look at him on the cross. Look at the blood drip down the cross. See him weeping for you. See him surrender himself in the garden. There's no other way for this cup to be drank except for me to drink it. Father, I'll do it for you. I'll do it for them. I'll create a changed people. I'll create a new nation on this earth that nothing can stop. This world needs us. This world needs strong people. It needs Holy Spirit warriors standing up, not being lukewarm anymore, but believing the Lord at what He says, looking at Him on the cross, looking at the offering that He's given the Father, taking all of our sin and shame so that we could be free, not watering it down anymore knowing every single moment of every single day that Jesus didn't speak any word that was in vain no word was void but everything was purposed the same way that we should take control of our words speak life fight wars in prayer come and know him in the secret place come and be like Jesus if we would do something this morning and make an agreement with him with your own voice, with your own words, having the Holy Spirit fill you up in a way that he, you, you may not have felt before. Repenting and saying that you're sorry, but you're so thankful that He's done it for you. That it would be wrong of you to revoke this blessing because He's already paid for it. For you to hold on to it is rude. Don't hold on to it anymore. Know that he's not judging you. Know that he just wants to take everything away from you that harms you and keeps you from him. He wants to put you up on a high rock. He wants to take care of you. He wants to restore you. He wants to make you well. All of these conflicting things that we've been fighting with in our life, they have to go, they have to die, they have to be laid down at this carpet. We need to have actual unconflicted prayers, unconflicted worship, crying out to him and singing songs that are actually pure and holy and pinpointed right at his heart. Lord, I'm sending something to you. I'm gonna worship you. I'm gonna give you something good. Lord, I don't have much, but I do have this life. And if that's the thing that you think is the absolute best, then I'm gonna give it. Let us sing this last song with everything that we have. Let us see him. Let us know that it's, it's worth it and it's safe and it's okay to lay these things down that we found comfort in that has been outside of his plan. L- let him remind you of your actual calling. Don't be a counterfeit you. If you don't take him up on this offer, you are a counterfeit you. He has the best intention in mind for your life because he created you the creator has the best intention for what is he designed he's the best knowing of what the created thing is because he made it the created thing going about and trying to discover what it's made for by its own strength is going to fall off and is not going to get very far but if you just knew That there's a man who wants to tell you exactly who you are. He wants to love you. He wants to fill you up. He wants to take everything out of you that does not belong. Let him do it this morning. Take him up on this offer. Take him up on this every single day. Let's pour everything out to him with the time that we have left together. Let's go out into the world. Let's change our workplaces. Let's praise his name with every word that we have. He's blessed you with such a powerful voice that is backed up and brought into more strength by your action. You can't just say things. You can't just say that you're a Christian. You gotta have your life line up with the two and your words will be powerful. You will have peace, you will have comfort. You will move into foreign ground. You will take battles the same way that Joshua did where he said, go and fight this fight and this is how you're gonna do it and it's gonna be won. It is for the church to be reminded of the man who's calling us forward, not to just wander in the wilderness and say, hey, we're free, look at us, we're free. There's better things for us. There's greater works that we will do than even Jesus himself. He's calling us into the city. He's calling you into your work building. He's calling you to that person that nobody talks to, that, that is mean to you, that, that, that is disrespectful. He's calling you to that person. He's calling you to your family, and he's calling you to this church, that we would, we would not be lukewarm, that we would not be watered down in the word and in the calling. That we would all build each other up to the highest degree. That when one person is going through it, we would stay awake with them. That we would pray with them. That we would believe for the absolute greatest that the Lord has in every single person next to you's life. We are to hold each other accountable in that. We are chief accountability officers to each other. Let's just take this moment to stand up. Stand up, stand up, if you would. Thank you guys for being patient. Lord, we just we just pray that you would just come and just resonate this message with our hearts. You would come and rescue us. Lord, I pray that you would just be, be vicious about the things that we're trying to hide away right now and keep away from you. Lord, I pray that you would just keep on knocking and encouraging us to let that go. There'll be a few leaders up here if you wanna pray with somebody. That we wouldn't be prideful in keeping that thing to ourselves but we would look at you on the cross and knowing that you already bought it you already purchased it so it would be wrong of us to try to carry it on in our own strength so lord give us the courage give us the strength in ways that we've been to church again and again and again had the back of our minds this hurt that we've been carrying for way too long This morning we would lay it down, we would start new, we would start fresh with you, putting you at the center of everything that we do, not negotiating, not having anything inside of our hearts competing with you. You don't deserve to have a competitor. There is no competitor. Nothing compares to you, God. So why would we allow that to happen inside of our hearts? Lord, forgive us of that sin and give us courage to correct it with you, Lord. Come and rescue us, come and give us peace. Come and take care of us, Lord. Jesus, we give you this morning. We give you the rest of this week. We pray that you just keep on reminding us and building us up and helping us to know you better and better every single day. We thank you that you came as a man who could experience some of the things that we've experienced. Holy Spirit, we just... There's only one thing that we can have if I fail in everything else that I ever do, Lord, if I can be a part of a church that has you in it, with people moving in your strength, that's all the riches that I need. Make me poor in any other way if I could have that. If I could be a part of a church, help build a church, be in attendance at a church, be empowered by a church that just has you. Every single time that we come, Lord, we just want you. So Holy Spirit, come and rest upon our prayers. Give it all to you, God.